0: If you have your Bible tonight and you would find 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but if you'd also like to just very briefly flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've been looking through this book, Paul's last will and testimony about what the church should be like, what the church should be on guard for and how the church should expect to be treated and how the church should expect to be persecuted and have false teachers and all of the stuff that goes on in church. But when we get to chapter 3, he tells Timothy to remember some things that matter, to remember some things that matter that will keep him on the right track. And tonight you say, well, Jake, shouldn't that be addressed for you since you're the under-shepherd of this congregation? Yes, it does. But it also matters to you because, one, you should know what the Bible says about church. You can read enough books, you can listen to enough people that everyone has an opinion about church. How it should be done, how it shouldn't be done, how they liked it at their last church, how they like it to be at this one. But what does God's Word say? Same thing goes for a pastor. Well, I like a pastor that does this and doesn't do this. And I want this and this and this. And ultimately, I had a good pastor or a bad pastor or all of those things. But the question is, what does God's Word say? You say, well, Jake, you're young enough that I'll just outlive you and I won't have to be on a pastor search committee. If that's what you're shooting for, good luck, all right? But you should know this because God you have no idea what the plans are for this church. I could walk out of here tonight and have a massive heart attack, and that would be it. And then what? We know that because churches all over our state are struggling. They're dying. They're trying to find a man that God would send them. And so it doesn't just happen. I was looking through the records, and since 1984, you have had one two, three, four, five pastors since 1984. That is longer than I have been alive. You've been blessed. Extremely blessed. Now you say the last 12 years haven't been extremely blessed. I get that. I'll give you that. But tonight I want you to see in the book of Jeremiah... God talks about giving shepherds to His people. That is the Bible verse that this Bible is turned to every Sunday to remind us that God needs men to stand before His people and proclaim His word. And you as a people need someone to stand before you and to speak what God's word would say. In Jeremiah chapter 3, starting in verse 14 and 15, it says, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is just saying that men who will proclaim the Word of God, you say, well, Jake, I'm not called to be a pastor. Well, maybe you're called to teach a Sunday school class. And what you're doing is you are standing before God's people and you are feeding them the Word of God. You say, well, Jake, I, I don't teach an adult Sunday school class. Well, I would appreciate if you'd look up here, yours is even more serious because parents have brought their children into you and said, feed these sheep. Think about the severity of that, the significance of of that. You say, well, Jake, I don't teach Sunday school. Well, maybe you work and teach on Wednesday nights. Maybe you work and teach on Sunday nights. Maybe you work and teach at vacation Bible school. Maybe you work and teach a women's Bible study. The question is feeding the people of God His Word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, excuse me. And says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. That does not mean recognize, like in the sense of doing nice things for. All right? It just means understanding that God has called people, that God has placed people, that God wants men and women to stand and to work for him. All right? That means pastor appreciation should be canceled, right? All right. Amen. Those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That means to instruct, to warn, and to esteemly very highly in the love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. What it says is, if you want to help the pastor of your local church, the greatest thing that you can do is to be at... at, Come on, you're going to have to say it because I don't want you to blame it on me. Peace among yourselves. Whoo! Glad that's in there. All right. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That means idle or insubordinate. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. And always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. All those things that I just read in front of you is what God is saying to this local church, to every local church. And what He says is, if we cannot do it, the results will be what? Quenching the Spirit. I met with a young man today in the lobby. He's going to be baptized in two weeks. Thank you for the four people that appreciate that. That's a big deal. Because why? God is still at work. God is still moving. He goes on and says, Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And you say, Jake, why did you share all of that with you? Because that's the church's responsibility. It's what God says matters from you. Because I'm going to spend the rest of the time allowing you to put a microscope on me. But you need to remember something, that God does not bless a church unless both aspects are where they should be. The congregation has a heart that is moldable, that is yieldable, that is willing to listen to God's Word and to apply God's Word. But it's also necessary for the pastor to be willing to be God's man, to fulfill the qualifications, to declare the word of God uh, boldly. And when one of those two gets out of whack, the church is out of whack. God's blessings begin to dry up. And so if you would pray with me, and we're going to go through this text tonight, verse by verse. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this wonderful book, for the privilege it is to preach out of it. And Lord, I pray that you would give me the boldness, the courage to declare your word confidently, knowing that your spirit is at work in this place. Father, I pray that if there is anything tonight that is quenching your spirit in my life, that you would forgive me, that you would help me to see it and turn from it. Tonight, thank you for this congregation, for the men and women that you have brought here, and the work that you are doing for your glory. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Three things tonight, very quickly, that this church needs and all churches need. The first is this. The church needs strong Christian examples. The church needs strong Christian examples. Look in verses 10 through 12. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance... Persecutions, affliction, what's happened to me at Antioch, at Icarium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He says, Timothy, you have lived with me, you have followed me, I have taught you, and you need to stay the course. You need to remember what you saw, how God has been at work, how God has taken care of us, and to know that He will not stop. You see, what Paul is saying is, I have mentored you to be the man that you ought to be, now be that. And tonight you need to know something. We have a church full of young men and women who need to see godly examples. Men and women who are willing to stand and proclaim the Word of God, to stand on the Word of God, to have marriages according to the Word of God. You say, well, Jake, what about kids? He's not talking to a kid here. He's talking to a 35 to 40-year-old man who has spent probably the last decade following Paul around. And so families in their young 20s and early 30s, I give you this one piece of advice. Find a godly couple and learn from them. Watch them. Get to know them. Ask how their marriage works. Ask how to manage money. Ask how anything you could possibly think of. Ask them and then listen. You say, well, Jake, I don't want to take orders from anyone. Then, friends, you are setting yourself up for failure. Strong churches, strong believers are ones that have examples and mentors for the next generation. Whether that is young adults for teenagers, whether it's young adults by older adults. The Bible literally tells us older men teach younger men and older women teach younger women. The pattern is all throughout the Word of God. And when one generation is not godly and the example that the next generation needs, you will watch it fall apart. Think about the nation of Israel over and over again. A generation rose up that for God, God. They didn't remember his works. In 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul was dealing with a church that had lost its mind. Everything was falling apart. You had, you had all kinds of sin. And Paul couldn't go at that time, but he says, I'm sending Timothy to you. I'm sending Timothy in my place. If I'm Timothy, I'm thinking, well, that's not fair. I mean, this is a church that's got sexual sin that the lost pagan world wouldn't even look at or think about. And starting in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He's not saying he saved them, but he says, I'm a father to you spiritually. And and tonight I ask you that, has there ever been anyone when you were a new Christian or a young family that came alongside you and mentored you and loved you and cared for you and poured into you, and you could look at them as a spiritual father? My next question is, who are you looking to find that to be that to them? What young couple, what young family are you willing to take alongside and show them how to live life according to the principles of God's Word? He goes on in verse 16 and says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you because how he lives and how he teaches and how he conducts himself is exactly like I would do it. I've trained him to send to you. And I ask you that question tonight. Could you be trusted with that kind of responsibility? Have you learned the things of God that if someone needed something, they would think that's the person I'm sending. That's the person who could speak for me. That's the person who I know I could trust. That's the, the person that I know that wouldn't make things worse before I got there. Is that the integrity and the faith that you live? Because Paul tells Timothy, don't forget what you've learned. Don't forget how God has worked. Don't forget how God has moved. What he's saying is that Timothy was teachable. Timothy was willing to learn. Timothy was willing to be taught. And the Bible tells us that if we do not have a teachable spirit, we are useless. If we're not willing to be taught and to be humble, friends, we are useless to God. Because many times the greatest way that we can learn is by hearing someone else's failure. If I could go back now and tell my 26-year-old self what I knew now about the ministry and shepherding a church and dealing with people, I could have avoided so many heartbreaks. And I had a wonderful mentor. I had a man that met with me and helped me and explained to me and and one I can still call and, and I'm going to go visit next month. Why? Because sometimes you just need to sit across someone that knows more than you and says, talk to me, explain this to me. Give me a word of encouragement or a word of correction. Friends, today I ask, do you have anyone like that in your life? Are you willing to be that person to someone else? Because if this church wants to continue to see God work and move, someone has to take that stand. Someone has to be willing to say, I'm willing to let my mistakes, my vulnerabilities, my shortcomings be on display to help someone else I don't know if you know this or not but when most couples get married they have no idea what they're getting into oh you say they went through marriage counseling and that you have no idea what you're doing when you get into marriage people always said Jake you have two kids no matter how many you have it's all the all the same look up here those people are liars when you go from playing man-to-man to, man to a zone, it's a whole different thing, all right? And I can tell you, I would not change a bit of it, but what I would tell a young couple is, you better pray about it. You better pray about it because it will whew, be a Blessing. We took all six of them today with us to Fox Meadows. My wife and I during the song service and half of them can't read yet and and they're all holding songbooks and they're all wanting to find the right page and they're they're all wanting to sit with their mom and me and, and all of the uh, residents are like, "Oh, you know, it's so cute, it's so wonderful, it's so amazing." And I'm going, it's "Driving me crazy." <laughs> I just want to sing from the hymnals, the old songs that I love. Then I looked over and saw Jayla, and she can read, and she was singing those hymns, and it blessed my soul. And I had to get along with God right there in that moment because I wasn't leading the singing today. Thank you so much to the Mitchells and Betsy, all right? And think, Lord, it's a blessing. Lord, it's a blessing. But I should have sat down with someone who had a bunch of kids and got some pointers before we started. Because why? Why? The mistakes, the failures, the things that happen. Second thing I want to show you tonight is this the church needs people who know what they believe. The church needs people who know what they believe. Look in verse 13. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You need to understand that as God has blessed this church, I think we've seen seven or eight people baptized in the last five weeks. We've got some more coming up. We've had people joining on Wednesday night, and possibly people joining tonight, and and God is at work. We had, I think, two or three new families this morning. God has been so good to us. But you need to listen to that very first verse where it says, Impostors will grow worse. This church is never going to be able to just step back and say, We can understand God's Word without the work. That we should trust everything that is being taught. Because Satan is always trying to drag this church away from God's Word. Satan is always trying to drag this church to be something that it shouldn't be for earthly recognition. Well, if we just give up what we believe about marriage, we should be able to pick up some more people. Or if we just give up what we believe about the sanctity of life, we ought to be able to get some more liberal people. Or if we just compromise a little bit on the fact that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, I'm sure it will get bigger. Satan works that way. Don't teach that verse. Skip over that chapter. Don't try to explain this. Just leave it alone. But What God's word says is, Timothy, you better know what you believe and why you believe it, and you ought to be willing to stand on it no matter what the cost. Friends, what you'll realize is church is where more more good people are than I've ever met. Don't believe the lie that the church is full of hypocrites, that there's no good people in church. That's baloney. There are hypocrites everywhere. But I'm telling you, most Christians have no desire to be used by God if it means going through the fire. Let's just be honest. I'll come to church. I'll give my money. I'll live at peace. But don't ask me to step up if there's a fire. Don't ask me to put, a, put my foot down on the word of God if it affects my family. That's not how most people will be, and you just need to be okay with it. But, friends, tonight I ask you is God dealing with you more? Are you willing to take a stand no matter the personal cost? Are you willing to take a stand when it might offend the people that matter to you? In 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 13 and 14, it says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Why would it have to tell us to be brave? Because it's not going to be pleasant sometimes. If you ever saw the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson, as they're rebelling against the English crown, and, you know, he, and he is teaching them to, to fight and to, and to be strong and to, to do these things at personal cost. We don't think that way about the church very much because we've been so blessed that we can believe what we want, and preach what we want, and it costs us very little. But look up here. Those days are over. You go into your place of employment and you state, I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and you will most likely be fired. If you were to stand up in your place of employment, unless you're self-employed by yourself, And say that I believe there are two genders created by God. A male and a female. You're liable to lose your job. And friends, you need to know something. God says be brave. Be strong. But let all that you do be done with what? Love. Don't be a jerk. You're either very good at truth or you're very good at love. But very few of us are good at both of them. Some of us love everybody and don't want to upset anybody and we would rather not tell the truth so that they love us. Some of us, on the other hand, will all tell the truth and I don't care what people think. But there's a balance. Why do you say what you say? Why do I preach what I preach? Why do you teach what you teach? Is it because you believe that God's word can change people's lives? That God's word can convict the sinner? Hebrews the 11th chapter says it like this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. That word for substance means to realize and have confidence. Confidence. Do you have confidence that God is going to provide if you take a stand? Do you believe, just like Daniel, that God will provide for you? Do you believe, like the three Hebrew boys, that God can save? Do you believe, like Peter and John and Paul and the apostles that said, we've been through everything, but God's been faithful? You see, what you should expect of your pastor is a man who knows what he believes and to preach the word of God. But third and finally, and I'm almost done, the church needs Christians who are committed to God's word. Now you say, that's just what you said. No, it's not. To biblical convictions. See, you can believe what the Bible says about something and then try to deny it says something else if you want to know that the church that you were attending or the class that you were sitting in or the sermon that you are listening to, the first question you could always ask is what do you believe about God's Word? Because look what it goes on and says in verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture means all of it. That means those verses in Leviticus you don't like. It means the verses in whatever book that you can't understand. It means the verse about your sin that you're not willing to give up. All of it is God's word. And tonight you have to make a commitment. Can I believe the book of Genesis? When the word of God says that everything were made in six literal days. Do you really believe that there was no sin and death in the world until Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? The Bible says that through one man sin entered into the world. And through one man sin can be conquered through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that God got so sick and tired of the wickedness of man that he regretted making them? But yet Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. And God flooded the world totally. You say, well, Jake, those are pretty easy. Well, do you really believe that God brought fire down from heaven to spare and save Elijah? Do you really believe that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a giant fish You say, well, Jake, those miracles are... I don't know if I have to believe them. Well, then you've got to believe the biggest one of them all. That a dead man came back to life. You can't pick and choose. And friends, tonight I give you this question because we are living in a world that mocks God's Word. That that explains it away. That that laughs at us. Six thousand years... Friends, I don't know about you, but I've been to the ark. And I believed it before I got there, but I definitely believed it when I left. You have to make that commitment. Because if God's word is not the foundation, there is no foundation. If what God says about anything is not to be believed, nothing can be believed. You see, the Bible is either absolutely true or it is absolutely false. It is either absolutely true and established in the heavens, or it is made up by men. This is what the Word of God says about itself in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, creation. And all of the host of them by the breath of His mouth. God spoke it, and it became. In Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. That word for settled means stand firm, that God has placed His Word, that it will not change, that it will not be broken, that it will not fade away. It is the foundation of everything that we have. If you want to know about sin, it's God's word. You want to know about Jesus, it's God's word. You want to know about heaven, it's God's word. You want to know how to vote, it's God's word. You want to know how to spend your money, it's God's word. You want to know how to raise your kids, it's God's word. It's a firm, settled issue in heaven. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of God was not written by men. It was God who breathed it. And they wrote and spoke what he said. And so when we read it and when we go through life's valleys and we go through life's trials and we go through life's tribulations and where the world looks at us and says, you can't have a pastor that preaches in a tie if you want to grow. Hear it all the time. Preaching a tie every week. Well, you can't sing hymns. If you want the church to grow, you can't have Sunday nights. You can't have Wednesday nights. You can't call it Sunday school. Those things don't work. Maybe not, but a commitment to God's Word does. A desire to know God, to share God's Word, to stand upon God's Word will always be successful. And what this church needs to realize and believe is that if God's word never returns void, there's never a bad time to hear it. There's never a bad time to sing it. There's never a bad time to talk about it because it's always going to be a blessing. It's always going to work and move in your heart. And so what this means is when people don't want to hear the word of God, it's because they don't want to hear from God. Listen, if you come to listen to me because you expect to learn something fantastic from me, I think you've been listening long enough to know that you will lead sadly disappointed. My jokes aren't very good. My analogies aren't very good. My examples aren't very good unless I'm making fun of myself. Someone said, Jake, the only sermon comment that I remember the last few years is when you said, if you see me running, you better make sure the bathroom is open. I said, that's all you Remember? I went back and watched it and the only person I heard laughing was Gary Briling on the tape. All the way up there. But friends, all I can promise you that as long as God leaves me here, we're going to go verse by verse, word by word, line by line. When you have a Sunday school class, you're going to go Bible this, Bible that, Bible this, Bible that. When you come on Wednesday nights, we're going to study the word of God. We're going to teach the word of God. When you come and you sing, we're going to sing the word of God. Why? Because I believe That in a world of lies and destruction and pain and suffering, that God's word brings hope. It brings clarity. And friends, in a world that has lost the definition of truth, here it is. Here it is. Isaiah the 40th chapter, verse 8. My favorite verse in the whole Bible. It's the verse I hope they put wherever they put it when I die, all right? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Friends, tonight, the greatest piece of advice I can give this church for you, the backbone of this church, you who come and vote, you who give, you who serve, you who are here and here and here, is be that godly example for someone. To know what you believe and why. And don't waver. And third and finally, no matter what comes against this church, never compromise that God's word is his word. Friends, you can disagree about a lot of things in God's word. You can disagree about a lot of things that the Bible teaches. But the moment that you begin to question if this is right or not, this church is done. There will be no fixing it when this is gone. You say, well, what if the music just gets better? It won't work. What if the preaching gets better? It won't work. Because when the foundation crumbles, everything crumbles. Now, you know I love to sing a kid's song from now once in a while. And I think you know it, right? You say, well, you haven't told us yet. That's all right. wise man built his... Oh, you hate it when I make you sing. I can see it on your faces. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And how does it go? The Oh, two of you are liking it. The rest of you are not. Friends, I don't care how much money you give, how often you're here, if God's Word is ever taken from its place of preeminence. Everything crumbles. Everything. It don't matter how wonderful the pastor's personality is. It don't matter if Jamie starts wearing them cool skinny jeans and un- untied Air Jordans. Got his hair spiked up with them silly collars on his wrist and if you're wearing those tonight, stop. won't matter. Friends, tonight Paul said, when everything else crumbles, Timothy... Standing on God's word, what will keep you. And tonight, this church has to know that. If you want to be faithful until God comes again, you have to commit to God's word. Doesn't matter what it is. His word is true. Tonight, you say, Jake, how are you going to close this sermon? Well, one, tonight, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, the Bible is abundantly clear that he is the only way to be saved. You are a sinner in need of salvation tonight. You say, well, Jake, I know that I'm saved. What does that mean for me tonight? Are you committed to God's word? You say, oh, Jake, I can amen it when you're preaching it, but are you living it? Are you living it? When you get up in the morning and you decide how to treat your spouse or how to raise your children, is it God's word that's first? Or is it crazy Oprah? Is it God's word or is it the latest horoscope reading in some silly paper. Tonight I ask you that. And so maybe tonight you and your wife want to come and get along with God and say, Lord, help us. Help us to be committed to your word. Maybe tonight you want to come and say, God, send us a young family that we can be discipling, mentoring, being that example. Maybe you're that young family that's here tonight, and you're thinking, boy, I could use a godly influence in my life. I didn't have Christian parents or I didn't grow up in a, in a Bible-believing church. Man, I, I am, I'm, I'm just like a blind man leading the blind in my home. And I want that to change. Maybe you just want to come and pray for your church. Pray for your Sunday school teacher. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the children Sunday school teachers that they would commit to teaching God's Word every chance they get. And friends, if we'll do that in here, I believe we will see spiritual fruit that is much greater than the little bit that we're already seeing now. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's yours, not mine. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help me first and foremost as the under-shepherd that stands before this congregation to preach your word. To preach it boldly unashamedly, but tonight I pray for this congregation, Lord, that you would help us to hear it, to apply it. Lord, tonight I just pray that you would continue to keep this foundation firm and to build upon it for your glory. Lord, help us to love you, to follow you, to serve you, and to watch what you are doing. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.